I almost died in Africa because I ate a poisonous plant. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Kristen Gill. And before we get to Kristen, I have a few things to say. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there and see photos of our guests. You can see stories that they've written. You can see stories that I've written, including a link to my recent Wall Street Journal article. There are links to the guest social media, and there are links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, we're on Facebook. There are links to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. You can find us pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Please like us there. Please subscribe. And give us a good rating, please, because that's uh, a cool thing to do because it boosts our presence, which helps more people find the show. So that's nice. If you think you might be right for the show or know somebody who might be right for the show, or maybe you want to ask me some travel questions, maybe you want to just say nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Before we get to my interview, I'm going to say something that hasn't been said in almost 10 years of doing this show. We have a sponsor. Okay, not really a sponsor in the fact that they gave us money, but they did give us free merch. I am speaking to you now using a brand new microphone. And not just any microphone. This is the Majority RS Pro. Straight from the UK... If you want to see this microphone for yourself, and it's a good-looking microphone, you can go to majority.co.uk. They're a home audio company based in Cambridge, and they found me through the Rock Solid podcast hosted by my good friend, Pat Francis. They sent Pat a microphone, which he's been using, and they sent me one. Now, this fulfills a couple needs. Number one, I was looking for another microphone that I could travel with, or at least store, because what I've been doing the show on for all these years has been my handheld mics going through a small soundboard that I bought at the old Guitar Center on Sunset Strip, and I'd run a USB cable from the soundboard into my computer. And I usually put the microphone on a stand, which is kind of like an old music stand. Effective, but takes up some room, as does the soundboard and everything else. And then you got to put it away. This RS Pro comes in a nice hard plastic carrying case. It's very professional. I don't need the soundboard because it goes right from the mic into the USB port. And dig this, it doesn't even need a power cord. It gets its power through the USB from the computer. So that's one less thing I got to plug in. One cord, easy peasy, comes with its own stand. It's got a windscreen. It's built for doing podcasts, really. And it's also built for Zoom interviews, any kind of audio you want to do for your computer. It's a good microphone, and it only runs retail for like $60 on Amazon. That's it. You want to do a podcast? And who doesn't anymore? <laughs> Everybody's doing one. But all this, the stand, the mount, the windscreen, the microphone, and the padded carrying case for 60 bucks. I thought it was going to be like 160 So that's a pretty good deal. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. One of my pet peeves, especially since 
COVID started and we've all been locked down. We're all Zooming. We're all doing online interviews and everything else. It is a pet peeve of mine that people, some who are professional performers and broadcasters, don't have one single decent microphone in their house. Now, granted, a lockdown snuck up on a lot of us, but I'm talking about people who do a lot of interviews, even for business, non-showbiz related business or blogging business. They're online a lot and they're talking into their laptop mic or three feet away into their iMac microphone or whatever it is, their computer built-in computer mic. That sounds like crap. It picks up all the ambient noise in the room. It sounds echoey. It sounds terrible. Here's an example of it. This is me talking into my laptop. People will do whole interviews this way for television. Unbelievable. Now I'm going to plug in my Apple earbuds. And now this is me on my earbud microphone. Sounds a little better, right? But still, nowhere near as good as a real microphone. And now I'm back talking on the Majority RS Pro. Isn't this much nicer to listen to? Because I'm telling you right now, folks, you may not like digital communication, but it's here to stay. So why sound like this when you can sound like this? So I want to thank the good people at Majority for sending me the RS Pro, and I'm going to recommend it to other people as a great all-purpose microphone for whatever you need to do. So your clients, your guests, your audience, they will listen to you more if you sound good. So if you want a good, affordable mic that plugs into your computer, check out the Majority RS Pro. Majority.co.uk. Thanks, Majority. All right, now that I got my first ever commercial plug out of the way, let's talk about Kristen Gill. The Giller! That's her nickname, one of her many. Kristen is another professional travel writer I met through my good friend Jeanette Seha. I've been following her on Facebook and Instagram for a while now. She can be found at kristengill.com, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-G-I-L-L. She's originally from Chicago, and it's amazing how much stuff we had in common. We overlapped in a lot of places. We both went from Chicago to New York to the West Coast. I came to L.A., she went to Seattle. But for the last few years, she's been living in La Paz, Mexico, in Baja, California. She stayed all through COVID, and she's loving it down there. So we talk about her life as an expat. We talk about her numerous mishaps <laughs> for accidents and her pension for getting hurt in places. She has had a couple health scares, but seems to be coming through it, and seems to be loving her new life in Mexico. It was great to meet her, and I think you're going to like meeting her too. Please enjoy my chat with the lovely and charming Kristen Gill. The Giller. I'm actually finally talking to the Giller. Woohoo! How did you have you been the Giller your entire life? Like since as a kid? Uh, you know what? I am probably a person that has had the most nicknames of anyone on earth. <laughs> uh, the Giller came about from a friend of mine in Seattle. Okay. It came from Gilleration or Gillastorus. And then it became, <laughs> then it was Giller and then it was the Giller. So I guess I'm sticking with that one. Yeah. It's my hashtag or my uh, handle on Twitter and Clubhouse. Okay, good. We're going we're gonna to give you plugs there, but you just got them in right now. Way to sneak those in. Oh, yeah. Y- your Instagram plugs. So you're the Giller on Instagram. You're the Giller on Clubhouse. I haven't done Clubhouse yet. Do you recommend it? Um, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, basically like snooping in on other people's conversations. 
<laughs> okay. Like I don't mind it if it's good conversations. If it's crap, then I, then right. No I have been on some good ones. I was in a uh, travel media conference recently, and we had like a little. Uh, we had our own happy hour after the conference. Got it. That was quite fun, and I literally <laughs> signed up just for that. And uh, now I need to go in there and fine tune my uh, preferences because it invites me to a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not interested in. So. Gotcha. Okay. So you are in La Paz. Right? I am best city in the world. Okay. We're going to get to that in a second of how you got there, but you and I are both from Chicago, right? Yes, that's right. That what? is actually the best city in the world. Okay, there you go. <laughs> how does a uh, Chicago gal end up in La Paz, Mexico in Baja, California, sir? <laughs> well, I didn't come here directly. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, uh, First went to college in Indiana, St. Mary's College. St. Mary's. St. Mary's of Notre Dame. I don't say the years, but anyways, any <laughs> other questions are... Is that in South Bend? It is. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I spent my college years there, and uh, one of those years I lived in Ireland, in Dublin. And then after I graduated, I lived in New York City for about three years. I worked for the Irish American Cultural Institute, Okay, so, you're officially the most Irish American girl I've ever met. <laughs> I also grew up Irish dancing. All my oh sisters. my God. We're world champion Irish dancers. That's my very first international trip was to Ireland to compete at the championships. Well, my next question is how are you not sunburned every single day down in uh, Mexico? Well, <laughs> I, I have a lot of freckles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what part of New York did you live in? I lived in Chelsea. Okay. 21st, between 7th and 8th. Yeah, I was in Brooklyn in Park Slope. Ah, okay. So I left there in ni late 97. I was only there for about a year and a half. Oh, okay. I actually left in 96 for Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Okay. Was, now, was writing, you, was writing taking you all these places or you just wanted to move? No, I was doing, um, you know, a lot of the Irish American Cultural Institute work in New York. And then I was sort of fascinated by the outdoors world. And I had a very good friend from college who worked for the American Ski Association over in Washington. So I was always visiting her during the summers in Seattle and decided to move there. I got a spot on a houseboat that was like half as much for rent as I was paying to share one bedroom in Chelsea, you know, my bedroom was in the living room in Chelsea. So <laughs> yeah, once you live in New York, every, everywhere is cheaper. Exactly. <laughs> so I had I had visited there a couple times in, of course, the summer. Fell in love with Seattle, and then moved there in January. Ooh. And let me tell you, I second guessed my decision <laughs> all the way until the summer. <laughs> and I, I realized that I needed to learn how to snowboard or take advantage of the mountains if I was going to ever survive. So my first year there was super tough. And I wasn't actually planning on being in Seattle for very long because I, you know, I came with four boxes and my bike and that was it. And then 20 plus years later, I was still there. And that's where I was before I moved down here to sunny La Paz. I decided the the second half of my life, I need to live in a place that has sun and water with temperatures that I can swim in. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Well, my next question is, so why La Paz and not the obvious choice of Cabo if you're going to go to the Baja California? 
Um, it's a, definitely a different uh, mentality, I would say. La Paz is a super active, thriving Mexican community. And um, so it's very different than Cabo, which is more, uh, a lot of tourists end up in Cabo and they never leave. Uh, so La Paz is, uh, how do I describe it? First of all, the first time I came here, which was on a press trip, I walked around and my jaw dropped and I was like, people live here? I want to live here. Like, <laughs> this is a fabulous place. And that was 11 years ago. And I found a way to come back down here uh, about once a year on different projects and assignments. And I would stay longer and longer after each assignment. Finally, I was staying for my winters. I was avoiding Seattle winters and coming down here. And then one of the last times I visited, I inquired about an apartment that I uh, was in a place where I was staying. And I thought, hey, this number five is really nice. Faces west, top floor. And so I had my friend ask the landlord if it was available and it wasn't. But two weeks later, when I was already back in the U.S., they called me and said, hey, number five is available. So I basically manifested this apartment for myself. And I ended up moving here a lot quicker than I had planned by about so, six months. So how long have you been there now? Almost three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. So now a lot of people who talk about moving abroad or moving to a different, different country what is the visa situation for you there? Did you end up marrying a Mexican and that's how you stayed? I did not. Okay. Uh, there's always hope. No. <laughs> <laughs> See? Um, I am on an FMM tourist visa, which is good for 180 days. And of course, that's since run out during the pandemic. Uh, at that point, they were offering uh, some sort of humanitarian extension for another 180 days but I'm actually now past that as well. So shh. But, <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> I have overextended my visa. Gotcha. So for the knock on the door to come get me. <laughs> so if 180 days goes by, does that mean you have to come back to America and then just turn around and come back? Or? You exit the country. And as you, you can know, exit anywhere, you could go, you could go to Europe or Anywhere. You can go anywhere, right. I mean, some people leave just for the day and come back and renew okay. their visa. So for me, it was uh, never a problem because I was always off on trips, being a travel writer, and, you know, I never encountered this issue before. In fact, having been in one place for a full year, has um, it's kind of an anomaly for me. And me, and all of us, yeah. too, really. So, like, I mean... Um, one year uh, birthday... Couple of weeks ago. Me so. too. Mine was uh, January twenty fifth. Was my last. Oh, okay, mine was January thirtieth. Yeah, and it, coming yeah. from New York. Who uh, knew? I was came from uh, Medellin, Medellin. I should say. Ah, Medellin. I yeah. haven't been there yet, but that, I really want to go uh, to Colombia. It was cool. It was cool. So, how is your Spanish these days? And how much did you know before moving there? Um, I knew Zippo before moving here. Really? None. Nope. I took French all throughout school, which, uh, you know, yeah. looking back, I actually would have done things differently for sure. Me too. I took two years of French in high school and oh. I would look back and I go, what? Turns out, it turns out we all needed Spanish and, <laughs> and maybe Mandarin, maybe now that, uh, you know. Yeah. So I've basically been um, teaching myself 
Uh, it's very great to um, learn and practice. I had someone that I was working with before the pandemic that I'll probably pick up with again uh, later on. But mostly it's been, uh, you know, a lot of trial and error. I get great opportunities to practice with my neighbors, my landlord, anytime I leave the house, pretty much. So unlike Cabo, uh, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to actually use your Spanish here. Yeah, because Cabo, you'd end up probably, everybody would speak English to you, and then there's so many expats. They know all the keywords. Tequila, shots. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, are you renting a place down there, or did you buy I'm just renting a place. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I know there's restrictions for like us people to buy or something. Uh, restrictions, but people do it all the time. Oh so yeah. Yeah. Not that difficult to get by, but there definitely are restrictions and there's um, the Ejido land ownership. And I've learned a bit about it. Um, and I'll learn a lot more if I plan to buy, but I am one of these non-committal types. So my entire life I've never owned, I've barely, I've owned a car, two times in my life and I've never owned my own place to me. I don't know. It's like carrying weights around. I like to be fluid. <laughs> I get you. I totally get you. I might want to like move to Ireland and hang out with my nephews and uh, spend the rest of my days there. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well, good luck. You know, you, now you're used to sunshine. So uh, <laughs> Ireland might uh, get you for an hour. at least go in the summer, at least go in the summer. So what, uh, when did the travel writing start and when did this become a career? Oh, okay. Good question. Uh, well, I have been a writer my entire life. So I was an English major. Uh, woo-hoo, and woo-hoo. A I double majored in a lot of writing. So I've always been a writer and researcher and always fascinated by cultures and traveling. And I guess I always used to do trip reports like via emails to my friends and family And then I was asked by a woman in Seattle to write for her site. And it was called Wanderlust and Lipstick, Beth Whitman in Seattle. And she was one of the early um, bloggers, especially based on women's travel. So I joined with her group for, I think, about four or five years. And then I branched off on my own. So I've I've had my own blog since, um, I think, 2007 or 8, somewhere around there. So when you you made your own blog, was was there an angle you wanted? Like I'm going to do a lot of people do like solo female travel or this is my adventure travel thing. Or was it, did you have a thing? Um, I wasn't so niched out as people are now, but I tended to do a lot of adventure travel. So it was um, right up my alley to be doing, you know, hiking and visiting off the beaten path places. That was sort of my niche and I loved it. Um, But then I started, um, you know, pitching stories to editors and getting some publications to, you know, publish my work. And uh, so I've been more of a traditional journalist uh, since about mm, maybe 2010 or so. So it's been a while. So how long before we started the blog that you could do it full time? Like, this is my full time thing. I'm a travel blogger and writer. And let's see, I was doing a lot of technical writing in Seattle because that's what you do when you're there. Lots of tech companies for all the startup companies. Amazon. I I never worked for Amazon. (laughs) A lot of the other ones, you know, I worked at Microsoft. I worked at a couple of Paul Allen's startups and uh, it was fascinating. I really loved it. And that's where I really realized that if you have 
the writing chops, you can write about any topic. Because trust me, when I got to Seattle, I was like the least technologically savvy person you've ever met. But my very first editor who hired me said she likes to hire people that are English late English literature or language majors or foreign language majors. Because and, have, and have good Irish dancing skills. And have good Irish dancing skills. <laughs> <laughs> no, but basically what you're doing is you're translating to your audience. So you always have to have your audience in mind. And at that point, you can be taught anything. So for me, I was learning, you know, security on Microsoft systems, Microsoft Windows security. Wow. I'm already fascinated. I know. I'm, I'm riveted. <laughs> and actually, I used to do a lot of contract work there, which was great because you'd work for one full year and then you'd have to take this mandatory 100-day uh, break in service. And most people hated that because, you know, it's disruptive. But for me, it was perfect because I had my travel lined up for those 100 days and then I just come back and I could get my same job back. Oh, that's nice. It was perfect for someone like me that could travel and know that I had something lined up when I got back. So sometimes I wonder why did I give up that cushy sort of life? But uh, I decided I wanted to do more full-time writing about stuff I loved, which is culture, cultural things, meeting uh, new people. Uh, and sharing those experiences and inspiring others. So I just kind of dropped the technical stuff behind and figured it would always be there if I wanted to go back to it, but I haven't wanted to go back to it. So well, this is what I find in like, I don't know, I'm a little older than you, but you know, once you live, I have found having moved, lived in Chicago and New York and LA, these cities where people go to work, you know, and, and, um, you know, with, if you're ambitious or you want to move or just live but just to change your life, you know, and you move there as a young person, I find that 20 years is about the time you start to question, okay. Yeah, what am I I'm, doing? Let me, I need a little, what am I really, <laughs> like, I don't know. You, there's like a 20-year itch and you're going, okay, I, if there was something I wanted to do here, I did it already. You know, I've done everything I could do here. Or you're just over it. 20 years of anything. It could be 20 years of the same job. You know, you just kind of burn out after a while. So you had that 20-year itch in Seattle. I can totally see it. I mean, yeah. I've had it here in L.A., you know, and people, all my friends that had stayed in New York, right around the 20-year mark, they're like, you know what? We're getting a place in the country at least, you know, like upstate or something <laughs> just exactly. to get out. You know, you can't. It's a, it's a lot, you know. Especially if yeah. you don't have kids. Kids change everything. I mean, most of them had left the city anyway when they had kids. But for those of us who don't, it's just like you start looking around your neighborhood and your apartment. And you're like, I don't know if I have to live this way anymore. I exactly. Really <laughs> that is one of the you know benefits of not having children and only having to maintain yourself. Yeah. Um, it really does open up a lot of uh, – you, you can be a lot more risky, which I like, and, you know – like moving here was risky, not knowing the language, not really. I knew a few people, but, you know, I have such a big base here now, but it took several years to do that. Well, and former guest of the show a few episodes ago, Janine Cohen moved down there. I caught yeah. her in San Francisco about, uh, like, I think a, a week before she moved down there. We did the interview. And I think she had been like, it was around 20 years in San Francisco. She went, you know what? I think, uh, I think I'm good here. I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's fun. Janine lives about one hour away from me. So I've been able to see her on, uh, we get together for different adventures. In fact, uh, next weekend, which is my birthday, we're going to go up and see the 
the gray whale migration, they come in with their babies into the Bay Magdalena Bay. Wow. And it's a super up close and personal experience with the whales. And it just happens during this time of year, but it's these like ancient migration patterns that happen to come through Baja. And this is where they teach the babies how to swim, how to flip in the air, how to do everything before they do their, you know, 3000 mile journey back up North. Yeah. To Alaska. That's amazing. That's really good. I really would love to see that. Then they, and also is it La Paz where the big, um, the whale sharks? Whale sharks here. Yes, they are. And, uh, it's fascinating. I've, since I've been here, first of all, swimming with whale sharks is a great experience. I recommend anyone doing it. It's yeah, I did it in great. Panama. Like, oh, great. Yeah. So, yeah. You, you know, um, it's kind of crazy that they're like literally right in my front yard, like not that far away. I can, you can't really see them from above the water. It's best to snorkel with them because they're just in the bay feeding. So they're on a feeding frenzy. They pay no attention to you, even though it is kind of scary when you come up and their mouth is like four feet wide and you're <laughs> staring them in the face like, ah, please don't eat me. They're vegetarian. So don't worry. Yeah. Um, but it's a, um, and since I've been here, what's, and one of the reasons that keeps me here is that I have met so many interesting people that are doing, uh, you know, like scientific research with these whale sharks. Um, for example, they're tagging them and they're being finally being able to like track where they go, try to find out where they give birth, all these questions that we don't know anything about. And, uh, you know, they come into this region every year. And hopefully um, we'll be learning more and more about them. They have a lot of citizen science stuff going on here. So even as a tourist, you can come in and, and help track by um, taking photos of the, there are certain areas that you take photos of that um, where the spots identify the whale sharks from each other, pretty much like a cheetah or a giraffe. So um, all this fascinating science is happening down here. And people come from all around the world. For example, in my apartment, I have um, people that have come from Spain, Portugal, other parts of Mexico, and they all work in like diving and research. And so just to be around these people and chatting over coffee about the newest technologies and what's happening, like doing ultrasounds on giant manta rays and whale sharks and actually getting the very first footage in the world of a baby in the belly. I mean, it's some crazy stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. Because I'm a diver, so I would always look oh. for new spots to to go. But I, I know so many people that have gone down there, and I keep meaning keep meaning to go. But now that you mentioned visitors, for people who want to travel there, what's the easiest way to get there? You still have to fly to Cabo, and how far are you from there? Well, okay, so there are many many flights going in and out of Cabo. Uh, but what is pretty interesting that just happened like uh, maybe two months ago, if that, is that La Paz Airport has opened uh, to the U.S. We have flights, uh, weekly flights from Phoenix and Dallas. But not so, L.A. Not what? Not Los Angeles. Not L.A., not yet. They used to have L.A. to Loreto, which mm. is north of La Paz by about five hours. Um, but they, that's not happening right now, but hopefully they'll reinstate that one. So there's several options of getting here. It's actually pretty easy. So from Chicago, there's direct flights right from Chicago to Cabo. And then it's about a two and a half hour, beautiful drive to La Paz. So I never 
Um, I thought this is going to be tough living in a place where I'm two and a half hours from the airport with my job. I think about that all the time. But it's such a nice drive. I have my headset on, my music, and I just stare out the window and it never gets old. You can literally see whales, you know, swimming and they're spouting from the, from the bus window. I mean, it's well, crazy. You didn't get a car down there, did you? I don't have a car yet, but I am double thinking. I haven't owned a car in, I think it was 10 years. I actually started it in Seattle because I was traveling so much. And one of my cars kind of broke down and I donated it to a radio station for their auction. And I said, I'm going to try to do one year without driving, without a car. This is um, even before Uber. So it was kind oh, of that's like, tougher. It was tougher. And I, the, the year went by super fast. And, you know, I'm traveling like six months out of the year anyway. So it was, you know, not that big of a thing. And I love living in areas where I can walk to the cafes and restaurants and stuff. Um, so anyways, years and years went by and it's been over 10 years that I haven't owned a car. Remember what I said? I'm very noncommittal. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to be tied down even by a vehicle. But we may have, we may have deeper issues here. That, <laughs> <'cause> it, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole, yeah, that's a different podcast, but anyway, I have to pay you for that. <laughs> so if you, if people come down there and they don't want to get a car, like, do you take a taxi for two and a half hours to, to They have Cabo? a lot of um, services. So this place is geared for tourism. So they have everything covered. If you need to get from point A to point B, there's either uh, a tourist bus going, private drivers, tour operators that include that in their price. So you really can get by if you're here for a short time with no car. However, that being said, there are so many, and this is one of the reasons why I probably will buy a car down here. There are so many great off the beaten path, you know, random beaches and stuff that you can just kind of find off these sandy roads that it really makes it, if you're the adventurous type road tripping down here, it almost like doesn't get better. How's the Uber situation there? Because I know, I mean, Uber saved me in Mexico City. It was yeah, amazing. Yeah, Uber in La Paz. Now in Cabo, the taxi drivers do not like Uber. It's right. kind of like a big deal there. Here we have it, and we also have another company called, I think it's Didi, D-I-D-I. -I. I actually just saw their offices yesterday. But um, So there's a couple of competitor companies as well. And then it's easy to just get, like I have some friends, and I like to use women drivers just because, and uh, I have a few friends just in my WhatsApp that I call and say, hey, can you drive my friend and I over to, you know, Tecalote Beach and then come back and pick us up in like four hours? Sure. <laughs> Everything is uh, <laughs> negotiable here. And <laughs> How are prices there compared to Cabo? I would assume they got to be maybe a little less or are they more because it's so they kind of got you remotely. There's not as much competition. Um, I would say it's definitely much cheaper as far as like food and going out and stuff is because um, this town is 300,000 people. So it's much bigger than Cabo. And there are all varieties. So we have a lot of families, um, different economic levels. So it really caters to that. It's like New York. Like you're going to have expensive restaurants, but you're going to have cheap street food and everything in between. Whereas Cabo kind of, it's like Vegas. You're going to have a, a certain minimum level that kind of everyone keeps to. Is so um, spend a lot more in Cabo for sure. Okay, good. So, and there's no like cruise ships or anything pulling in. Not right now, but actually yesterday on my walk, it was so weird. It's so weird that I had to take a photo of it. There was a cruise ship way on the outskirts of La Paz Bay. 
out by another uh, tanker. I have no idea which ship it was or what it's even doing, but it was kind of like a rare finding, like a rare specimen. But even before, <laughs> yeah. But even before COVID, there was no uh, cruise ships. Didn't stop there, did they? We we only had smaller ships, small. Sh- small cruise ships that would stop in La Paz Harbor, but then we have this Pichilingue Harbor, which would have a couple of the big tourist boats, but oh. not at nearly as frequent as down in Cabo. Uh, I think they, before the pandemic, were planning on uh, building out that Pichilingue area with some new hotels and also some new um, cruises. So I don't oh. know what the status of that is now. Yeah, That's, you know... I've you know because I stopped in Cabo for on working on ships, but um, you don't want that on your side. One of the reasons probably you'd like it more is that there there are none. I mean, it's a double edged sword. People they'll take the money, but it can overrun a town really quickly. And I would think in the narrow bay that big ships was bad for the whales. You know what I mean? In terms of I mean they hit whales. Yes. A lot sometimes, you know? Yes, they do. I'm actually working on a lot of conservation-related stories down here. And that is actually a very big thing. Is there uh, a reef there? That is there a coral reef or is it not not so much? Um, I think it's more rock. It's in the pod, <laughs> but uh, we do have reefs that are out more, but they're not um, like right in the city. Right, I mean, they're right. obviously not in the city, but they're... I'm trying to think where the closest coral reefs are. The best place to go diving is probably Cabo Pulmo, which is between La Paz and Cabo. And it used to be a really fished out area. And a fascinating conservation story is that the local fishermen who actually realized, hey, we are fishing out this area and our jobs are at stake, formed like a coalition and basically uh, let the the ocean rests and relax. And now it's one of the top like biodiverse uh, ocean areas in the world. I mean, it's incredible. They have sharks, they've got giant, you've probably seen some award-winning photos of like the giant uh, bait balls that are there just like thousands and thousands of fish. And you're just, you know, they're, they're like 20 feet across. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, so- I hope, I hope I hope more areas kind of learn from that sort of um, uh, example of a place that was, you know, almost nearly like extinguishing their their fish, their and livelihood. Like a, and now it's like a thriving um, tourist area. So oh. tourism kind of came in, and this these same fishermen that know these waters and have lived there forever are your guides, and they. Uh, can make money that way. It's kind of like Africa with the animals. You know, you have to convince the locals that those animals are worth more alive than they are dead. Yeah. You know, because when you have short-term thinking, they say, yeah, if I kill this and eat this now, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's just like, no, but if you leave it there, you can make money, you know, continuously because people just come and look at it, you know, whether it's the right. gorillas or, you know, and or yeah, like the fish and the reef. And, and honestly, yeah, it's hard. Uh, you know, as travelers, we we see the the beauty and the gems of each place we visit. And sometimes it's not apparent to the people who live there and grow up there. 
And it happens yeah. to all of us. Like, you know, we ha- could have a visitor to Chicago that does all these cool things. And I think, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about those cool museums or whatever. So it's kind of having fresh eyes. And then, you know, here, I mean, tourism is just so huge. It's like really a very large percentage of their economy. But um, I've been working with a couple of the tourism boards here trying to um, help some of the outer areas, like getting people out of Cabo and going to some of the more naturally protected areas and bringing in more economic uh, gains to these areas where there's fishermen and there's just incredible wildlife. They're not really set up for tourism quite yet, but it's like, (laughs) you know, telling them this is like an amazing gem that you have here. Uh, is there a cat trying to get into your house? I think there is. And my What's neighbor happening? is opening doors. And it's- <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I thought, are you being attacked? Place. I don't know if you noticed that. Are you being attacked? I was wondering. So what did you... Giant kitty on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> did I uh, see that you... Did you shoot some kind of TV thing or something you were working Oh, on? yeah. We produced a bunch of videos. So we produced about nine videos for uh, visit... Uh, visit Bajastour.com, which is a tourism board here. And they were featured in this Adventure Travel Mexico conference that unfortunately was, had to be online this year. Otherwise, all of the delegates would have been right here in Baja California Store, which would be awesome. But hopefully we'll be bringing those delegates back here in future years. But so the whole point was that myself and my videographer, we had a very small team and our driver fixer, went around to all these smaller areas and um, really met with the locals. It was, the project was called Guided by Locals. And uh, so basically they were showing me and hence everyone what there is to see in these like beautiful protected areas that are, uh, you know, you, you got to drive a little bit more, but it's so worth it. So it's more geared towards the adventure who's not afraid to you know drive a couple extra miles to get to something really special right and it helps to have a car i think you found that out yeah for that one you do (laughs) thank god we had our driver who used to be a land surveyor so he knows every literally every like bump in the road from here all the way up to tijuana well now since you brought it up let's talk about covid and you've been there through this whole thing i I think i wrote you because i was trying to get like any kind of getaway. And I asked about Cabo because I think, oh, a friend of mine had a uh, an opportunity to go to some wine region, like more north of you. Maybe it was like oh, yeah. outside of Ensenada. And right. you didn't, you didn't recommend coming to Baja during the height of this. I think only because at that particular time, and this was months ago, that... Um, I don't know what the hospital situation there was, but I think it was pretty crowded and their numbers were were pretty high. What's it been like now? And how has it, how's the experience been down there through this whole thing? It's been a little up and down. We, we tend to be several months behind the U S as far as the curves go. So we were like, you know, Ooh, Corona is still a beer down here. Uh, (laughs) March and April of last year, because it just hadn't hit here yet. Um, but then, of course, it did, and things were really shut down until, like, even the beaches here in La Paz were closed. They closed the roads, so there was really no way to get to them. So unless you had a house on a beach somewhere, uh, that was your only recourse. They even closed the Malacone, which is like the, the walking path, the boardwalk. Yeah. 
along the waterfront. So it was a really, really rough summer because the temperatures here get so hot and most families cool off by going to the beach and to have all of that closed off, it was just not that great of a time. And the beaches only opened up September, September 1st. Wow. So that's a, we were sort of just getting going and then it was the holidays. And of course we got hit bad with that. So our numbers are, you know, in the escalating, we're actually in the we have a system for COVID called the stoplight system, traffic light system. And so we are almost to the red. We're in number five of six, six being the worst, one being the best. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, things are at reduced capacity, uh, 30% for restaurants and also for tour operators, et cetera. So it's really, you know, kind of cut things down quite a bit. And what was I going to say about um yeah. Oh, Mexico has never, ever closed their doors to tourism. So these measures are a way to keep tourism flowing, but still maintaining good protocols for COVID. But still people are coming in and bringing it in with them. Right. And yeah. actually, the first cases here were came from outside. Sure. And now the U.S., as I'm sure you know, has initiated a protocol where you need to have like a negative PCR test to enter back into the U S and of course I would rather see, you know, can you show me that negative test before you arrive here too? Cause that would be helpful. <laughs> uh, I, I read an article about 104 tourists on their way out tested positive. So that means the whole time they're here running around having fun. And then <laughs> right. they find out on their way out trying to get back into the U S that, Oh, Hey, Guess what? Uh, so I, I've known quite a few people that have had COVID here. Wow. And a couple that have died as well. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. So uh, even though our numbers look you know, very small compared to the U.S., it's very misleading because we just don't have the testing facilities or even the actual test. So most people aren't getting tested unless they're showing up in the hospital very ill. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, it's a gamble like here as, as anywhere um, and the governments are trying to do their best to keep the economy going with the tourism since it's such a huge part of the GPS here. So was there was there any kind of um, moment where you wanted to like bail and just go back home to Chicago <laughs> and li- live in your your childhood uh bedroom and just cuddle and and hide i will say this last summer was super super rough with over 100 degree temperatures and like no access to the water i was like that's the reason i moved here two oceans i need to be in one of them right Uh, so yeah it was rough then and i had plans you know many plans to go to chicago to ireland to tons of different press trips that all were kind of canceled but um, I don't know. I just stuck it out here. I feel like this is my home. And if I went anywhere else, actually, I'll tell you a story. My, my ex-boyfriend, who's a surgeon in Chicago, he basically told me when it started, he said, pick a place and plan to be there for the long haul. So if you want to come back to Chicago, you know, you're probably, you know, commit and be there. If you want to stay in La Paz, commit and be there. It's the moving that's going to be. Yeah. I, I thought about it right at the start at the same thing. Cause you know, my mom 
taught immunology at uh, in Chicago at the at Rush Medical. Are you kidding? Oh yeah, yeah. Rush. Yeah. And um, you know, she worked on vaccines. You know, she worked on HIV and and um, cancer and a lot of other things. And I t- asked her, it's like when this thing. I said, best case scenario, how long? You know, do you think between like vaccines are out, we can? She's like, best case. She said a year and a half, and it's going to be look like around a year and a half. You know, I mean, there was that false thing. It's like we went through the summer, and people were think, oh, the worst is over. It's like, mm. I think people were really <laughs> you know, just because you want it to be over doesn't mean it's going to be yeah, over. Science doesn't, yeah, science doesn't work that way. You know, there's just a lot of just, wishful thinking going on for sure. Yeah, but there was a part of me that almost, almost pulled the trigger. And just kind of like left my, gave up my place in LA and I'm just, I was going to go somewhere and just park it. And yeah. I didn't have a plan worked out. I just kind of let it go. And, and as it turns out, I kind of wrote it out here, which with friends around, it really helped a lot, actually. And there are worse places to be. I mean, other than the expense, but, you know, having good friends around and then like, you know, decent yeah, weather, really and I could still go outside and do things. If I, yeah, you know, my friend's going through it in Chicago, just locked down, and it's miserable out. You know, it's like four degrees, and it's and like I can still take a walk. You know, I mask up and I go take a walk or ride my bike, and I that got me through this whole thing. I mean, you could still. Do you have a bike at least and we'll ride do. around? Uh, yes, I have a bike. Uh, I'm on it every day. I ride along the water. I can still go snorkeling, hiking. I almost feel bad because most of my friends and family are suffering through the polar vortex. Oh, right? it's so cold. Oh, so, um, yeah, I've been kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, hesitant to post any photos because I'm. They go, you jerk. Enjoying summer. <laughs> <laughs> I did see on your blog, you had a couple health scares. Oh, yeah. But now we're going to get into the crazy travel tales. <clears throat> um, I got a lot of crazy travel tales. Okay. Talk sure. about in Africa when you ate a uh, poisonous plant. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I almost died in Africa because I ate a poisonous plant. It's called euphorbia. And after, uh, you know, now I've done my research on it. They basically use this plant to like put around the homes in southern africa because it keeps the wild animals away like that's how powerful this plant is like these animals know not to eat it but yeah. yet you walk like, by a random plant in africa and decide you know what i'm going to put this in my mouth well there is a backstory so i was actually working with this indigenous mafwe tribe and we were learning from them all the different plants that they use for like brushing their teeth eating there's a plant that is um it gives you like, uh, it grows in a very arid environment, but it gives you water and some salt that's good for hydration. And that is what I thought I was biting the next morning when I was walking to breakfast. I'm like, oh, there's that salty, salty plant. And I broke off a piece and put it in my mouth. And immediately I was like, oh no, this is not the same plant. This is not good. And I walked over to my guide and actually I went back and picked up the piece because I, that's how bad I thought they might need to know what I ate if, if I'd like dropped dead right now. So oh God. I told my guide, Hey, I just, <clears throat> you know, I had this plant and he's like, Hey, you need to put that down and wash your hands immediately. It's like poisonous. I'm like, Oh, but I put it in my mouth. <laughs> and his eyeballs just like lit up. <laughs> 
And he was like, uh, okay, we're going to, um, and of course I was three and a half hours drive to the nearest doctor. So the best they could do is they brought this naturalist guy over from like a town over. He got there in like 40 minutes and he basically, he was so matter of fact. And he's like, well, this is the euphorbia. There's actually no antigen for it. So you, we just have to let it run the course through your body. He goes, from, and he kept asking me, how long was it in your mouth? And I'm like, oh, just for a few seconds, because it like tasted awful. Like I was spitting it out and scraping my tongue. And he's like, okay, well, I'm, I think that's probably not enough to be lethal. And I was like, uh, do you just use the word lethal? Like, oh my <laughs> God. and I was just crying. And my poor guide, who is like my partner in crime, friend for life in Namibia, he just you know, had me in the car and gave me milk. That's like a, to help the burning. Cause it, it was like acid burning down my, but, and it took like five days to go through my system. Oh, it courses through your whole, like then it hits your kidneys and your liver and yeah, it's not pleasant. Is there any long-term effects from any of this? I don't know. <laughs> um, aside from mental uh, damage? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, definitely Scarring. toxic thing in your body. So <laughs> My poor immune system has been so overworked. Uh, Like a year and a half ago, I was supposed to be uh, for a big milestone birthday, meeting my family to go to Alaska for a cruise, 12 members of my family. Oh, you might have Um, seen me on that cruise perform. Oh, that would have been weird. Salmonella in my bloodstream. Salmonella? Yes, in my bloodstream. So I had septicemia, bacteremia septicemia. People die. It has like a 79% death rate. Oh my God. Where did you get it? Um, well, I got bit in San Diego. I came from La Paz to San Diego, San Diego to Seattle. And that's where I met my family that we were supposed to go up to Alaska from there. And luckily I was in Seattle, a place that I knew quite well. So when shit start, started going down, I was able to have a friend there drive me to the emergency room and where I found out I had like a over 106 degree fever. I got a spinal tap 10 minutes of being into the place. Wow. And they thought I had like spinal meningitis. I couldn't walk. I could, it was awful. And uh, apparently they kept testing and testing. And then they found out I had salmonella in my bloodstream. How did, and this is from a, like a mosquito or something? No, there's certain, a lot of lizards, birds, um, uh, even cockroaches. There's a lot of bugs that have, um, that carry salmonella. And you you got bit by something. I'm pretty sure it was animal to human because it went directly to my blood system. I never had any of the normal, like, uh, reactions to salmonella in your gut, which most people would be, you know, and other lovely things. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. No, I got lucky and it went, you know, right into my bloodstream, which means it's coursing all over your body. Oh no. I had to experience the whole like cytokine storm where the immune system just goes wonky and it starts like just attacking everything. So I had like kidney failure. I had a lot of things shutting down. Oh my God. I barely remember it because I was in a daze for like seven days. And this went down in, in Seattle. Yep. Oh, so happy it happened there because I had, you know, support system. And actually when I went into the hospital, my family continued on the cruise and I said, Oh, I'll, my sister stayed back with me. My middle sister, Colleen, God love her. And I owe her a trip to Alaska, <laughs> um, but she stayed by my side and we thought we'd be able to meet up with our family in like a couple of days. 
unbeknownst, but I was on a long haul journey and it's taken me over a year to recuperate from that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I had been in Chicago for six months with my parents because I couldn't uh, take care of myself. Oh. Yeah. They were so bad. I mean, I couldn't even like open the refrigerator because I had no muscle. I lost all my muscle. Lost like 30 pounds of muscle. <laughs> oh. Well, you see, I had all that muscle to lose. Recovery. What was that? At least you had that muscle to lose. I mean, you, you know, yeah, a lot of people don't have that. You had, a, you were strong enough to see it out. I mean, you probably, a lot of people wouldn't be as strong enough to, to fight well, it. It was very good that I was in such good shape before that happened because it helped me for sure. And you got a surgeon ex-boyfriend uh, hanging around, so that's nice <laughs> to have. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. So you're all better now. Yeah, I'm feeling much better, but it was funny because I went to New York for the Travel Media Festival last year in 2020, and that was kind of my like first foray back into the you know travel writing world. And um, then I had a couple of assignments, back to back trips here in Baja after that, and then it was COVID, and I'm and like, what? pandemic, welcome back. Oh, like I just got <laughs> out of like a whole you know seven eight months of recuperating, and I'm now back on the scene, and then it got like snatched away again. But I know if you could have timed this right, I mean, that, that would have been a not a bad thing to have during a uh, lockdown. Just like, no, oh. just lay around. <laughs> You're not missing anything. No, I could have killed two birds with one stone. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you'll be glad when this is all. Do you have any uh, trips planned right now? Well, I have a lot of trips in my head planned. Well, Nothing sure. on paper. Yeah, I've got a lot of ideas. Um, yeah. Some yeah. have already come and gone. So I'm rescheduling those. But yeah, I think first I really want to see, I have a sister who lives in Ireland down in Cork and I have three nephews and I haven't seen them in, uh, you know, well over a year. So it's just getting more, it's just getting more and more Irish. How many sisters? Five, four? No, I, only, I have How, two is, sisters and one brother. Is any Megan's? Molly? Any? Uh, I've got a Colleen and a Maureen. A Colleen, Colleen and a Maureen. And a Patrick. God. I'm the only one. Sean? Any Sean's? Any Sean's in there? No Sean's, but a lot of our friends growing up were named Sean. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sean yeah. Sean Kelly, Sean Sullivan. <laughs> How many went to Notre Dame? Um, a few, a fair amount. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is great. Uh, uh, you know, they canceled the um, St. Patty's Day Parade in Chicago this year. I, and the Southside Irish Parade. Yeah. I was actually, I just pitched an article about alternative things to do in Chicago for St. Patrick's Day this year. Oh, so. <laughs> what are they? Stay inside and drink. That's pretty much well, it. There's a couple of like cultural things happening. Okay. Yeah. So you never lived in the city after like, even after college? Oh, no, I did. I lived in Lakeview. So did I. I lived on, uh, I lived on Barry, like around Belmont oh, and Racine. Oh my gosh. Barry and what? Uh, between Racine and Southport. No, you did not. Like 1200 block, I want to say. what? I lived on Fletcher between Racine and Southport. Yeah. Wow. So, we were like neighbors. What, what years were you there? Uh, well, I guess I lived there between 92 and 95, maybe. I think we may have overlapped. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I totally saw you. You were the Irish girl in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> One getting up and doing sporadic jigs to the. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you at the, at, uh, at the Cubs game. <laughs> I, saw, I saw you at Murphy's Bleachers afterwards. Totally. Uh, well, I do miss Chicago, I have to say. I miss the summers. I don't miss shoveling. But How anyway, do you break your leg in Macedonia? This is the other trip. Well, that is an entire story. So we're up to uh, Salmonella, 
we have a poisonous plant in Africa. Mm-hmm. And give me the broken leg story. The broken leg story. All right. Well, I was uh, in Macedonia, of all places. I'm doing like a multi-sport fam trip before a conference, an adventure travel conference uh, in the Baltics, which was awesome. Uh, and I had a great time on that trip. We had like six days of doing you know, rock climbing, kayaking, hiking, the second tallest peak in the Balkans, all this stuff. And guess how I broke my leg? Um, You walking down a flight of steps and you missed a step. Almost. I was running to get into the the group photo on the the (laughs) last day. And I just wiped and bit it and basically fell down and couldn't get back up. And the, the entire photo opportunity moved around me. So there's a picture of me with like my foot in an ice bath. <laughs> and then the whole process, we were three and a half hours again to the small town that we had the conference in. And when I got there, I had to go to this hospital. And let me tell you, it, I never was so thankful to have the hospital systems that we have in the U.S. This thing was like a Macedonian uh, hospital. Oh, dear Lord. First of all, people were smoking in the like in the waiting room. <laughs> and, those are, and those are the doctors. Hey, <laughs> people were bleeding. There were people on stretchers. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I, of course, don't speak the language. So. My proprietor, this woman who was like 19 years old, was so nice. She took care of me, went with me in the cab to the hospital and uh, basically translated. And uh, I had to get x-rays. And I remember they put me in this room with like no, you know, no lead jacket or anything like that. And everyone left the room and this giant thing came squeaking across the ceiling. 1947 uh, x-ray machine. I was in there for like half an hour and I was calling out like, hello, hello, is like anyone there? Finally, yeah, my friends were like, yeah, they were probably waiting for the radiation to leave the room. <laughs> and they came back in and gave me this big printout and I looked at it and, you know, I don't know how to read these x-rays, but this young woman uh, went in there on my behalf and talked to Dr. Dragon. And I'm not kidding. That was his name. <laughs> Dr. Dragon. And he's, she came back out and she goes, it broke. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's broke? Like my ankle, my foot, my leg, I don't know. And then all of a sudden they started plastering up my leg from my toe. And actually they had the girl hold, holding my toes while they were doing this like paper mache um, plastering of my leg all the way up to my thigh. And I was like still so confused, like what the heck was broken? Because Did it even had- go below the knee? No. And it was heavy as hell. I think I still have hip issues from that thing because I had to lug it around. And finally, someone found me like two days later, a a wheelchair. And it had the name like Sister Margaret Mary on the side. So we don't know. (laughs) We're not sure if Sister Margaret Mary like didn't make it. And I got her, you know, hand me down (laughs) wheelchair or if they just like plopped her on the bed and took it away from her for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. All but right. Then, uh, thanks to travel insurance, they got me all the way home, but it was, I mean, it was 15 hours of flight time Ugh. and flying with a broken bone is no fun. No. Yeah. Well, travel insurance is a, uh, sounds like it's made for people like you. 
It really is. I actually was like sponsored by travel insurance companies for a while. Thank you, Ripcord. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, injuries, maybe uh, food poisonings, anything else? Uh, no, but the one thing I wanted to mention about the broken leg, the thing never healed. And it, I ended up having to have surgery in Seattle and my recovery was during the Cubs uh, big win. So I was oh. like, lying in bed, but like cheering and like bouncing on the bed with my <laughs> Oh God. My booted leg. And like uh, six weeks after that, I was finally able to walk again, but the celebrations were over. Oh, well, but you're all right now. You're all good. You can walk now. Yes. I'm back to doing all the the stuff that I used to do. Thank God. (laughs) So any, uh, any uh, arrests, any uh, dealing with police or border patrol? You know, it's weird. I had a feeling you were going to ask me that question. And unfortunately, out of all the kind of wackadoodle things I've done in my life, I have never been arrested. (laughs) This is not to say that I shouldn't have been, but. (laughs) Right. Yeah. They haven't caught you yet. Knock on wood. I have (laughs) escaped that. Well, uh, what's on your bucket list? Where haven't you been that you want to go? Ooh. You know, I have never been to New Zealand or Australia. What? Or Japan. Yeah. What? You're kidding. No. Those are all up your alley. Though you're an outdoorsy person. New Zealand is beautiful, especially. I know. And I, I think the only reason I haven't been there is that I really want to spend like a long chunk of time down there. So, uh, and I still feel that way. I like the slow travel and really mm-hmm. get to know a place. And uh, so... That is still high on my list, and I'm sure I'll get to it at some point. But yeah. uh, And I also love Eastern Europe, and I have a really strong urge to go back there. Uh, I need a Macedonia redo. Find Dr. Dragon and thank him. <laughs> I need to go thank Dr. Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, haven't done – I've done like well, – I've been to Croatia like five times, but I haven't been to Macedonia. I haven't been – to a lot of those stands, any of the stands. My is Bulgaria. I haven't been. Fabulous places, like so full of culture, history. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could, I've already been back multiple times to both of those places and have spent like at least a month in each. So I loved Romania. I thought I had a great time when I was there. Oh, I really loved it. I got super into like the dancing and the clothing and the women's crafts and all of that stuff. And the, the countryside is gorgeous. Oh yeah. 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 You get up to Transylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was really nice. A lot of time in that area. Where do you see like travel writing and blogging going in the future with all these new apps and technology? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. And uh, you know, I've traveled around with quite a lot of influencers too. Um, and you know, I love some of them and others, not so much. Uh, no naming names, but <laughs> I feel like the, the girl in the bikini or the flowing yellow dress and the big hat, um, it's going to be kind of passe, hopefully soon, <laughs> you know, because just everyone's doing that. And, you know, good writing, good travel writing is you need to be a good writer and you need to uh, bring your own perspective. And, and um, it's not just about a pretty picture. And I think a lot of the sort of tourism boards and the PR firms got a little caught up in the numbers, the numbers game. So um, I've had to spend a lot of my time kind of re-educating people like, okay, what is your goal with this campaign? Oh, well, we want to get a lot of likes. Okay, why? Why do you want a lot of likes? Oh, so that people like see us. 
and know about our destination. Okay. Why, why is that important? Well, we want people to come visit here. Okay. So your goal is to get like people to visit here. I guarantee you the followers on yellow bikini girls site are probably not going to be the travelers coming. Why don't you, you know, maybe it's better to work with people who have an established following of travelers, not just random people that, you know, for example, like our audiences are people who like to travel that spend money and they travel, you know, three to four trips a year, whatever it is, whatever your audience does. And to me, that's like such a far more important number to be concerned with. And I think a lot of the tourism boards and PR firms are kind of catching on to that. Like our actual goal is to bring people to this destination. How are we going to do that? So um, working on special campaigns where you're like really showcasing the region through the eyes of the people who live there. I think that's like more long lasting than here's a girl in a bikini who's, you know, in 20 years, maybe not going to be able to wear that bikini <laughs> and have those followers. So, uh, you know, you got to kind of think long-term. Right. So I, I'm not really mm, worried about it so much. I think, the cream rises and <laughs> yeah, I get it. Do you see yourself staying in- while you can and then have yeah. a long-term plan? I prefer the like bloggers that actually have substance and, and real informative, uh, you know, value that bring value to readers that have very practical information and stuff like here's how to get to this place. Here's what you need to be concerned about here. You know, that sort of information is super helpful to travelers. Is there one, if, if somebody wants like the best, I don't know, I can't pick a, like a best, but is there a certain stories of people go to your blog that you say, you know, this really kind of represents what I do. Are there certain stories that mm-hmm. resonate with you and you still go back to and point people to? Um, I think it's more that I have uh, maybe like an authority on travel. So uh, they're not like, hey, I want to, this one blog post you wrote, it's sort of like the whole, they know I've been to a lot of places and I have a lot of knowledge. So they'll ask me like, hey, my family wants to go to Ireland. Can you look at our itinerary and offer some suggestions? Like I like doing that sort of thing. I'm not like, oh, here, go to this particular blog post. Um because I kind of don't write that way. And uh, so more, my writing is more kind of, I guess, just establishing, you know, authenticity and authority in, in a region and a space. Um, that being said, I am launching this uh, Baja Sewer Explorers Club here, and we are getting, doing like a real deep dive into the nitty gritty uh, information that people want to know because now that I'm living here and I have all this extra information and I do get tired of saying the same things over and over. So now I will be able to like point people specifically for like a three day itinerary out of La Paz or a seven day road trip through Southern Baja, stuff like that. Or even like, you know, where to get the best street tacos or beer, (laughs) that sort of thing. So this other blog I'm working on will uh, will be a different type of information that I could send people to, but my my normal kristengill.com site, I basically showcase the stories and the regions I've been to. And okay, we're gonna do a quick Giller hot take then on uh, 
a few places that you're an expert at. So we want the insider scoop. First of all, just uh, one or two places or things to do or see or go in Ireland. In Pick Ireland. your favorite, like off the beaten path, like non-guidebook, typical things. Hmm. Atypical things. Let's see. I would say there's tons of great hikes out of uh, the West Cork area. Oh, here's a really cool thing you can do. You can go kayaking by moonlight in a lake that has bioluminescence. Wow. Kayak adventures. Yeah, they're awesome. And uh, that's a really unique thing to do just because there's not that many lakes that have that. And it's a really fun thing to do in the evening. And, you know, they usually have like musical accompaniment to it as well. And it's, it's kind of out there. And uh, the West Cork peeps are great people. Okay. West so Cork. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you want two more? No, well, that, that's fine. No, we could. You have you have a couple that you're dying to. Well, I love the Connemara region. Okay, uh, the peninsula yeah. down there. Connemara uh, in the west, west. Yeah, coast. yeah. They, yeah. That's where they. I drove down there, and they took. Uh, that's where they still speak a lot of uh, like Gaelic, don't they? Yeah, the Gaeltech regions, they, they do. And actually, a side note: my little nephews who go to school there are taking it in a Geltech. So their whole entire education is being done in Irish. Yeah. We were in a pub, I remember, and store came in and all these school kids came in. They were all speaking, speaking <laughs> Irish. So, yeah, and it was like, wow, I'm, I'm far from Dublin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, when, that's when you knew you were out of the city. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is hardcore down here. And I, I've been to Ireland twice. Oh, okay. uh, once on my own, we stay, I stayed in the South. And then the second I took my mom for her 80th and I oh. drove her around and we went around the whole Island and, and yeah, I took her. And then, but that time we also went to Northern Ireland. So oh, to Belfast yeah. and then, great too. The Giants Causeway and yeah. the Northern Antrim coast is beautiful. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. And her family, we went, were from, uh, Kilkenny. Oh, that's a great town. Yeah. Yeah. We had a lot of fun. The, uh, okay, so now Seattle. Give us a couple uh, hot Giller tips from Seattle. Um, well, I always like to go to the Sunset Tavern for live music, like very local music. They even had a sign, all roads lead to the Sunset Tavern. <laughs> and who am I to argue that? What neighborhood should I stay in if I go to Seattle? Um, oh, there's tons of great ones. I really like the Green Lake area. Finney Ridge, Ballard's getting a little overdone now. Um, West Seattle is really cool. Okay. There's a few for you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I stopped there a number of times working the ships. So, because I did Alaska cruises the last four summers. Okay. And they canceled uh, this year. Uh, which, which ships were you working with? Mostly Holland America. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but th those were mostly they did mostly out of Vancouver. So. Okay. But I did go to Seattle, but a couple of runs went to Seattle a bunch. So I'd be there once a week and then I would get off the ship and I would do my walking tour all around downtown Seattle, yeah. get a coffee at Pike's market and then just keep walking. And I found a lot of cool little neighborhoods. Yeah. It's full of great neighborhoods and they each have their own sort of feel. So if, yeah. If only there was a place to get coffee or a micro brew there. <laughs> <laughs> or a piece of salmon oh where am i gonna get salmon around here 
actually really miss salmon right now and microbrews, but oh, oh yeah. Hey, we can start one up down there. A microbrewery. Possibly. Although Mexican Mexico has pretty good beers though. They do. And it's so hot here that it's actually kind of hard to drink like a big No, yeah. IPA down here. It's like ugh. Yeah, a nice. Well, there's a reason we drink, uh, you know, the light lighter beer. beer. I'm, yep, I yep. like Pacifico. I'm a Pacifico yeah. guy. I like that. Uh, and uh, Negro Modelo, I do like, though. Yeah. And here, when you get the economical one, you get the huge one. It's called the Baena, the whale. <laughs> Is that like a, four, like a 40 ounce? Yeah, pretty much. But everyone buys them and they wrap them in newspaper and you bring them to the beach and you just share in cups and, it, uh, you know, you just do one after the other and. You're selling me. You're selling me on this. Well, I, I want to go as soon as I can, but when can I plan? You think maybe by the fall? Oh, hey, we're open now. Yeah, I know, but you just talked me out of it with your with your hospital talk. Oh no. And the testing. I mean, it's I'm not as you know, I, I stay away from people pretty much when I'm there. You know, whenever I try I've taken road trips up here, but I'm yeah. more worried about um the hassle of the testing if you can't get a rapid test to come back then what do you do i mean some hotels are even offering them now i think yeah but that that seems to be more the big the bigger hassle you know yeah there it's not so easy right now you yeah know, it's dedicated now i do know some people that have come down here and are spending like a couple months just because you know they're going through the the process they want to extend it as long as possible right. so there's a few people from Seattle down here right now just doing the the nomad working remotely thing. And hey, I don't blame them. No, I don't either. But so the sun, uh, the summer sounds pretty hot. So uh, you, would yeah, you say the best time of year time. is like right now, like February, March, and then maybe how's the fall? Well, we have very distinct seasons here. So one of my favorite months is October because it is starting to get cooler. Like it'll be cool nights, still very warm in the day, but not excruciating. Do not come in August or September. Those are actually the worst, worst, worst months. Yeah. Um, which ironically were the best months in Seattle. So I need yeah. to. Like, and Chicago. Months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so October is great because the water temperature is still very warm. It's like bath water, but it, you're not dying of the heat and it still drops at night. So you actually need like a little jacket at night. But will I see whales or anything else around that so, time? The whale sharks are arriving. Uh, whale sharks come from like November through April. The gray whales come from around, you know, February, March, April. The blue whales are there now. So they probably come the end of January through about April as well. And then after that, everything, everything is seasonal here by the animals. You know, yeah. and the temperatures. Well, what season is October? What animals are around then? Um, well, you can do the whale sharks. And, oh, they're and still there. Great, okay. Well, it's great for diving. If you're a diver, the water is the color of the water gets super crystal clear and blue. Uh, right now, it's more of a greener color. There's a lot of a lot more nutrients right now in the water and um, the microscopic animals that these whale sharks eat. So it's actually kind of murky. But that is what brings the whale shark. So it's a, um, but when you come in, you know, September, October, the water is still super clear and the visibility is great. You can swim with sea lions at that time. And that's actually my favorite um, dive is you can snorkel or dive with the sea lions and they're super playful because they uh, give birth in the early summer. And then they're, 
by the time you're there in October, they're like super playful. Oh, cool. uh, they, they bite your fins. They'll be on your, you know, <laughs> okay. You've sold me. You sold me on October. That's when my birthday is. So I'll, uh, oh, you should I'll come for your birthday. then. That's a good idea. Okay. That's it. And we're hoping, but we'll all be vaccinated by then. I have, I'm, I'm a wishful thinker myself and like to think positively and be able to react. If not, it'll happen a little later. Yeah. Hopefully October. Yeah. Yeah. And you hopefully you'll still be there and not uh, have a broken leg or salmonella or some kind of (laughs) cardiovascular. Does it, whatever's happening in a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, tell people your, um, your websites again, where people can find you and your social media. Well, my, uh, my main website is just kristengill.com. So it's K-R-I-S-T-E-N-G-I-L-L. Uh, my handles are, most of them are at Kristen Gill, except for the few we mentioned at the beginning of the show, at the Giller. At the uh, Giller and Instagram and... And Clubhouse, if anyone's joining that. Clubhouse. Okay. Yeah. I guess I got to get on that. I, I guess. You know, it's kind of fun. And I think it's still so new that it's going to probably get more fun once people know how to use it. Yeah. 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 And you get more targeted talks. Right. It's like listening to radio, but one that's like targeted towards you. Okay. Okay. Well, um, finally, what, what do you think all this travel has taught you about the world and about people and yourself? What have you learned in this life of, of travel? Let's see. That is a really good question. I've learned to be patient. I mean, I'm a go-getter and I love to travel, but this has been a an exercise in patience and to also see the beauty in your own backyard. For example, I have a little bird feeder out there. I watch the little um, hummingbirds every morning. And to me, I get joy out of that. So you really need to uh, concentrate on the simple things in life, reduce your expectations. Uh, I think humanity is is good in general. And actually, I, I think um, I always kind of look ahead, maybe because I've had these near-death experiences. But when I'm an old woman at 80 on my deathbed, you know, I want to say, how did I react during this pandemic, this sort of hopefully only once in our lifetime thing? And that is your legacy. You know, so did I help people? Did I uh, inspire people? Did I hold hands that needed to be held? Did I comfort people? Those are things that I actually think about now. Uh, So uh, all my travels have taught me that humanity, we all have the same emotions, no matter where we live and what culture we grew up in. We have our differences, which make us unique, but deep down, those emotions are uh, universal and we all need to take care of each other, especially right now during this time. Well, that's great. That's well said. Thank you oh. so much for doing this. I know we tried to do this a number of times and uh, it was tough to pin you down. I know, I know. When you're not on your bike out there. <laughs> in the, uh, but stay on for a second and then I'm, I'll stop the recording. But I really appreciate you doing this. And thanks for making it over the wall Oh, yeah. On the fun side of the wall. (laughs) On the fun side of the wall. I've seen that T-shirt down there. But thank you for doing this. Kristen Gill, the Giller. Hasta 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 luego. Right? See. Thanks again.